While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Well, we continue to be in the season of Easter, and we are looking at how the resurrection should give us the fullness of life, how we should live in light of the resurrection. And today we have yet another one of those resurrection appearances where Jesus shows up to the disciples who really aren't expecting him at all. And they have this reaction, which you see in every story of Jesus' appearances, where some of them aren't sure it's Jesus. Some are afraid. Thomas doubts. And here in this particular story, they are afraid it's a ghost. Now, of course... Uh, this has a lot to say about human beings. I mean, the fact that there's always this doubt or this fear makes me think these stories are authentic because when we don't have experience with something, it, it's like we don't know what to do with it. Is that real? Can I believe what I'm seeing? You know, I remember 50 years ago when I was like 10 or so, my mom had me taking flute lessons. Now, I wanted to play the trumpet, as you can imagine, but mom would drop me off at this little music studio, uh, and one day I was waiting by myself for the teacher to come out and, and take me back to the practice room, and there was no one else in the front of this little studio. There was a, a desk, and then there was a wall that had some music stuff on it, you know, that people could buy. And while I was sitting there, some teenager walked in the door, went behind the counter, reached onto the wall, took some drumsticks, ripped open the packaging, turned and walked out like playing the drums. 
I sat there, I didn't say anything to the teenager. I didn't say anything to the teacher. Because at the time, I had no experience of someone doing something that bold of walking in and stealing that I couldn't make sense of what I had seen. And you see, 50 years later, I still remember that incident because the next time I would have experience and I would know how to respond. And I think we've all had experiences like that and that's what's going on with these disciples. They have never seen someone who was raised from the dead. And so they don't know at the moment, what am I going to do with this? Is this really Jesus or is it a ghost or what? And he says, you know, hey, give me a piece of fish. And he eats it and they're like, okay, all right. Maybe Jesus really is alive in the flesh. And so they will have to go away and they're going to have to process what they have seen and then they're going to tell others about it. And here is where Jesus, at the end of this, says, you are my witnesses to these things. And being a witness, it really has two different sides to it, right? So you, first of all, you're going to witness something happening. You're going to see this event. But the second side of it is it now I'm going to go tell others about what it is I have seen what it is I have experienced. It's like, you know, if you were at the game when, oh, you won the championship, it's probably not the same as being at home watching it on TV, right? Because you've got the crowds and the sideline and you get a look wherever you want to look and all this, you have witnessed this event of winning the championship, but then... There isn't a one of you that wouldn't be home saying, oh, and when they caught that interception on the four-yard line, yeah, right? You are going to then share the experience of what you witnessed. This is what the disciples are to do. But here, here's the problem. Here's the question. Right? The gospel is never just about what happened to these people in the past. It's about us. It's about you and I being called to be witnesses. But then the question is, what are we supposed to witness to? We didn't, even the, even the most senior here among us did not have a chance to see Jesus in the flesh. Last time I looked, we didn't, we didn't, like those disciples, we didn't see him, know what he looked like. We didn't hear him speaking and know his voice. Uh, we didn't have an opportunity to smell his breath after he'd eaten onions. We did not see the miracles. We didn't see the man with dropsy being healed. We didn't see when Lazarus came out of the grave. We didn't see Jesus died, and we sure didn't see him walk into our house in the flesh. If we didn't see these events, how are we then to go into the world, to all nations, says Jesus, That's to everyone, doesn't matter who they are, what language, where they live, doesn't matter at all, how are we going to go out? and bear witness to the resurrection. 
So for some people, then the witness becomes going up to people and say, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, I, I have to say, if you don't, that doesn't make any sense to you. Right? We don't live in a society, young people are, uh, don't even know what a Lord or a Savior is. And if you ask that, I don't think most of them are really going to have a strong reaction. Oh yeah, I want to know who is my Lord and Savior. And then, for some people, and some of you were raised in this kind of tradition, you go out and you, you warn people, listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell and you're going to suffer in the fiery furnace for all eternity. But I don't remember Jesus walking around and saying, you know, believe in me or you'll go to hell. I mean, it, the thing about Jesus is that he drew people to him by his compassion and his kindness and his mercy. That, that Jesus won people's hearts and minds by his love, not by some threat of punishment or some manipulation or fear. So somehow that kind of witness doesn't seem to be at all what Jesus is asking of us. But here's the thing. We are not called to witness so much to the event of the resurrection as we are to witness to the power of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is an event that brings the power of the resurrection into our world once and for all. And it's the power of the resurrection that you and I experience in this world. You see, Believing in Jesus isn't somehow like this magic carpet that transports us out of the world so that when a pandemic comes, we can say, oh, I'm on my magic carpet and, and you know, Jesus is going to protect me. No, Jesus is saying you have a mask, wear it. You can social distance. Here's a vaccine, right? So it, it isn't that the world becomes perfect in our belief in Jesus. In fact, all of us suffer a hundred or a thousand little deaths, little tombs across the course of our lifetime. You all know exactly the kinds of things that I'm talking about. Our world has these tombs and these little deaths. I mean, think about the violence and the hatred and the division and the shootings that are going on in this world. Those are deaths, whether they lead to a physical death or not, and they need to be healed by the power of Jesus Christ in his resurrection in our own lives. Think about the little deaths, the tombs. Maybe it's grief over a, a loved one who has gone on or a broken relationship. Maybe it's anger and frustration about something that had happened to you in the past and you don't want to let go on, or resentments, or, or maybe, you know, you, you have these deep regrets. Oh, I should have done that. And you can't get out of that. Maybe you have fears. Maybe you have worries. Maybe you see, as many of us do, that our bodies aren't what they once were. And, and we see that kind of decline. We see these dead places in our own lives. 
Maybe it's, it's things like our house has gotten so cluttered over the years thinking that junk is going to make us happy and now there's no room for the spirit to breathe there. There are all kinds of little deaths and tombs that are, are present to us throughout our lives. But the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the resurrection says each day, each moment, new life, resurrection is available to all those places in our lives where we are experiencing death and uh, brokenness. And Jesus says, come out of your tombs, new life, be fully alive in Christ. But maybe it'll take him three days to get there. But Jesus' resurrection is the power to call us over and over and over again into new life, into fuller life, into abundant life. Do not ever forget that the final step from this life is into the ultimate fullness of life with God. We are witnesses in our own lives to the power of the resurrection and the way it heals and makes whole and calls out of the graves that we experience. There's a movie that is probably 20 years old now. It's called Secondhand Lions. Recommended if you haven't seen it. And it's basically the story of Walter, who is maybe 13 years old. His dad is dead, and his mother is going from boyfriend to boyfriend, trying to find uh, a life and a way to make a good life for them. And so, in the summertime, mom decides she's going to leave Walter for the summer with the great uncles, who are elderly, eccentric, and kind of isolated in a little middle-of-the-nowhere house in dusty Texas. And their favorite pastime is sitting on the porch with their rifles and shooting the traveling salesmen who come around. They don't kill them, they just shoot at them. That's, that's how they spend their days. And so here comes mom with Walter, unbeknownst to the uncles. And she's like, here, Walter's going to spend the summer with you. And they're like, no, he's not. Walter's like, no, I'm not. Mom drives away. And the thing about it is all these people have these broken, dead places in their lives. Mom, who doesn't know how to live now that her husband has died and chooses boyfriend after boyfriend, the next one worse than the last one. Walter, who doesn't know who to believe or what is true or how uh, to be cared for. And these, these elderly uncles, one who's a lifelong bachelor and the other whose wife died after a year and for 40 years all they've done is, you know, like shoot and fight. All of the people in this story have these broken places within them. And then, of course, over the summer and all the strange things that they do together, 
Walter comes to understand the uncles, and the uncles come to understand Walter, and they're no longer saying, hey, if you need something, we don't know. You just figure it out on your own. Now they're trying to help him. And of course, about then, mom comes driving back with the latest boyfriend, worse than all the others. And she says, you know, Walter, it's time to go. We're all going now to Las Vegas. Uncles don't want Walter to leave. Walter's not very happy about it, but he gets in the car and they take off down the long, dusty road. And as they're going over a little bridge, Walter opens the door to the car and jumps out. Mom slams on the brakes. She goes running back to Walter. She says, Walter, what are you doing? Why are you jumping out of the car? And Walter says, for once, Mom, do something good for me. And then the scene shifts to the uncles sitting by themselves on the porch with their pack of dogs all laying in front of them. And the dogs' heads pop up. And then the dogs start running, and the uncles look up, and there's Walter marching back up the road to the house. And the uncles jump up and go down to greet Walter, and he says to them, Listen, if I'm going to live with you, here are the three things I expect. And the uncles say, Fine, come on. Now, there's more to the movie. I haven't given away the best part. But the point is that in these relationships, in this power of love to heal and make whole, everyone in this story has some of those dead places brought back to life. That is the power of the resurrection in our own lives. The tombs, the dead places in our world, in in our lives, Jesus is calling to them to come back to life, to find the fullness of life here and now. You see, our witness isn't to the event of the resurrection, but to go out and tell people how knowing Jesus has brought the dead places in our lives back to the fullness of life, and that every day he promises and does again and again bring dead places back to being fully alive. You know, I think if Jesus had a marketing campaign today, the slogan would be, Jesus Christ bringing dead things to life for 2,000 years. That is our witness in the world to tell people the difference that knowing Jesus makes in our lives each and every day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.